up leading us into the presence of God. It was really uh, such an anointing in this place, such a passion and a hunger for the presence of God. You know, uh, and I, this is my second most favorite church in Subang. I have to say second, huh? because if not my church, because my church member is here. <laughs> and you know, the last time I was here was quite a while ago. I think it was uh, pre-COVID, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, it's good to see that the church has changed so much. I mean, there's definitely a lot more babies uh, in the church since the last time I was here. Now, every corner, everywhere I turn and look, there's a baby. Or there's a baby being born. Or, you know, so, I mean, that's good. You guys are fruitful. The church is growing. Amen. Biologically growing as well. Praise God for that. And, uh, and this church is like family to us. You know, and your pastors are like family to us. We really love and appreciate uh, Pastor Ryan and Brenda. You know, I always tell this story. If you've been here for uh, any, any period of time, you would have heard me say this. Uh, Pastor Ryan, you know, when we first were going to plant in Subang 12 years ago, Pastor Ryan was the first one to call me. You know, and he says, hey, Pastor Clarence, I heard you're going to be planting a church in Subang. And I just want to welcome you into my territory. You know, I'm kidding, no, I'm kidding, not my territory. I want to welcome you to Subang, and I just want you to know that, you know, we are here for you guys. And, you know, it's just been such a source of encouragement and blessing to us. You know, he's a person that I can always uh, call anytime and talk to. You know, we can chat with each other. We have coffee together once in a while of late. You know, no, because we've been really busy. But you've got amazing pastors. Let's give them a round of applause. Come on. And amazing uh, team members as well. You know, I like it every time I bump into uh, Kelvin and Ernsway in, uh, in Kota Kumuning. My meals get paid for. Praise the Lord. May God bless you more. Just let me know where you eat every time. So we, are <laughs> we, will, plan, we will plan some coincidences here. Yeah. Amen. So today I want to talk about one of the foundational principles for you and I as believers. I think the most important responsibility or role that we have as believers on this earth, in our church, wherever God has placed us, and I want to talk today about prayer, because I do believe prayer is the most important role that you and I have as believers on the earth. Prayer is not a ministry that you and I decide if we want to serve in, but it is the responsibility of every believer. Uh, intercessory prayer was never meant to be limited as a ministry of the church. Intercessory prayer is the duty of every Christian. You know, we in our church, we have an intercessory ministry. And uh, the role of that ministry is to engage in focused prayer. Uh, we want them to pray specifically for, for certain things, for various needs. But intercessory prayer by itself is the role of every believer, every Christian is called to be an intercessor. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all who are in authority, that we may lead quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires that all men be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Uh, Paul writes in First Thessalonians, he's writing to the church, he says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, 
in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. He wasn't writing to a specific person or a specific group of people who have been called to pray. He's writing to the church. He's writing to the body of Christ and saying this is God's will for you. You need to be people who know how to intercede, who know how to pray. Amen. And when you read the many great stories in scripture of great miracles and breakthroughs, even when you hear of many testimonies, and I'm sure this church is riddled with many testimonies of what God has done, you will notice that they all have one factor in common. They were all, uh, every breakthrough is always preceded by a moment or a season of prayer. So God has ordained prayer to be the primary means through which we tap into all that God has for us. God has ordained prayer to be the means through which we, we develop intimacy and grow in our relationship with God. God has ordained prayer to be the platform through which He works through us, for us, through which His kingdom comes and His will is done on earth as it is in heaven. So a Christian without an established prayer life is a defeated Christian. A Christian without an established prayer life is a poor Christian because he's like someone who has a bank account with a bank account with millions of dollars in the bank account, but they have locked their bank book and their card, their access card in their drawer at home, and they cannot access all that they have in that account. So they go around. Can you give me some money? Oh, can I can I borrow some money for you, from you for lunch? Can I borrow something from you for you know because I need money to get this or do that? So they are going to other people to get blessings that they already have, but they are not accessing because they haven't made use of the means through which to access those blessings. And God has given you and I means to access the blessings that God has for you. Everything that you need for life and for godliness, God has already made available for you through the finished work of Jesus at the cross. And we access those blessings, we access those breakthroughs, we access those miracles through prayer. Don't lock your prayer life in the drawer or in the closet back home. Because you're going to be living your life as a limited Christian if you do that. Amen? So God wants us to know the importance of prayer for our lives and for our world. John Wesley, you know the guy who started the Methodist Church movement, he said God does nothing except in response to believing prayer. Martin Luther said to be a Christian, Martin Luther is the guy who started the Protestant Reformation, the movement that gave birth to all the churches that, you know, you are part. We are here today because Martin Luther did what he did. And he said to be a Christian without praying is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. He equates prayer to the Christian, uh, to the spiritual walk of a believer. He equates it to breathing to the physical body. That's how important prayer is for you and I. How many of you breathe, only breathe on two hours on a Sunday? Or how many of you br only breathe like five minutes before you go for your bakute or your, your chili pan mi or your yong tau fu? No, we can't do that. You need to breathe daily. Uh, you need to breathe constantly so that you stay alive. And prayer is, uh, is something that you must do constantly so that your spiritual life is alive. Amen? That's why the scripture says we must be people who pray without ceasing. Because it is like breathing and prayer is basically communion with God. Amen? And because 
of what the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit resides today. Today, you and I can do something that may sound ridiculous, pray without ceasing. We can pray without ceasing today because God lives on the inside of us. And when we understand that, then we know that every thought, every interaction can become a prayer and communion with God. Amen. So we are not praying to a temple. We are praying in the temple. Amen. Amen. So God is always looking for people who are willing to pray, not only for themselves, but for others as well, over every circumstances, because the prayer of God's people gives him legal access into our world, our fallen world. Let me tell you, the hope of Malaysia, the hope of this nation is not in a new political party or a new savvy political leader. The hope of Malaysia is in a praying church because the scripture says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, will pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. The healing of Malaysia is not dependent on Anwar Ibrahim, is not dependent on any political leader or party or new political agenda. The healing of Malaysia is dependent on a praying church. Amen. If my people who are called by my name, how many people here are God's people called by the name of God? And let me tell you, if you know that, you know that when you pray, God hears from heaven and God's going to heal our nation. Amen. God doesn't do anything except in response to the prayers of his church of his people. I, in fact, I believe the church is the world's priest. You know, in the Old Testament, the priest stood before the people and God. The priest represented the people to God, interceded, offered sacrifices on behalf of the people. And, and because the priest functioned effectively in that role, God blessed the people. Today, because, and the priest could stand in that gap because the priest had favor with God. The priest had right standing with God. The pre priest had access. Today we are that priest. We are the church. We are the priest of the world. We have right standing with God. We have favor with God. We have access. We can go before the throne of grace, the throne of mercy at any point and any day. And we are supposed to play that role. We stand before God for our nation. We stand before God for our families, for our friends who are not safe, who do not know him yet we stand before God and God hears our prayer and he moves over those areas of our lives amen we are the priests of the world can I tap the person next to you you're a priest so I want to look at a portion of scripture today and uh, glean from it some truths about prayer Exodus chapter 17 verse 8 onwards it says now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Everybody say Rephidim. Rephidim. Amen. Yeah, that's Rephidim in baby language. And Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men and go out. Fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill and so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and her supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. 
So here's the story about God's people needing to overcome an enemy. In the Old Testament, God's people had enemies, enemies of flesh and blood, men who came against him. But today, because of what Jesus teaches, because of what Jesus had accomplished through the finished work at the cross, we must know that we are no longer meant to have any enemies of flesh and blood. There is no man, there is no, no woman, no family member, no boss, no person of any other faith, no matter how nasty they may seem, uh, no one that, that, comes, that, that we should consider an enemy of a follower of Jesus, that Jesus wants us to hate. Jesus died for all mankind. Salvation is available for all. It is not his will that any should perish, but all should come to the knowledge of his saving grace. So we do not have enemies of flesh and blood, but you and I do have a spiritual enemy, a spirit that is in operation behind that person, behind that family member, behind that boss, that spirit who is coming against us, that is attacking us, or, or behind that person who is speaking against us, behind the ones who, who seem to be so committed to our failure or to our, our falling. There, and there is an enemy behind that person, and that's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So that person who is uh, constantly coming against you or stressing you out is not your enemy. There is a spirit at work behind that person trying to get you to respond or react in a way that would open the door for the enemy to come into your life. What the enemy says or does against you does not have power over you until you open the door to it by your reaction or your choice so your disobedience to god's word for you in that situation and let me tell you anger is an open door unforgiveness is an open door offense bitterness is an open door doubt is an open door that's why jesus tells us to do the exact opposite of what our emotions or what our flesh is telling us to do in the face of opposition he tells us to forgive he tells us to love. He tells us to pray for those who persecute us. He tells us to walk by faith and not by sight. And, and that is always our stand as followers of Jesus. So going back to this story, it starts off with how Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. And Amalek represents the enemy of God's people at that time. And Rephidim, this place where God led his people to, in Exodus chapter 17, verse 1, it says, Then all the congregation of, of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin, according to the commandment of the Lord, camped in Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So they are journeying with God. God leads them to this place, Rephidim, and there is a huge challenge in this place. There was no drinking water available here. And in the natural, this problem has the potential of wiping them out. Now, you've got to think of it. It's a huge problem. It, it is for that many people. Like it's probably 100,000 people, uh, including their livestock, their children. They're stuck in the desert with no water. Now, that is no small thing. So it says their response in verse 3, 
So the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it that you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Now, before we judge these people, like I said, we need to understand this is a huge problem. Maybe none of us can, can relate to this problem of not having access to water. I mean, what am I talking about? We are living in Slango. <laughs> Never mind. Happens, happens all the time. No, but on a serious note, the fear was real. Because the problem was real. And their reaction to the problem was reasonable. Considering the circumstances, the adverse circumstances that was before them. So their reaction was reasonable, but it becomes unreasonable considering the God who was with them. So there was an expectation on them to have a different perspective and response to these challenges because they had God with them. They saw this God deliver them out of Egypt. They saw this God part the sea so that they could walk through on dry ground. In fact, they came to Rephidim from the wilderness of sin. And there they were hungry and God provided them food, that manna that fell from heaven that came with the morning dew. This God who was there with them every step of the way, now they are facing a new problem and all of a sudden they are starting to doubt God. They forget the power of the God that was with them. You know, today, you and I may have problems that we are facing. We may have challenges and, and struggles. The world today is facing challenges, and a lot of these challenges are serious. We don't doubt the gravity of the problems that are before us. Your fear is reasonable considering the problem, but it becomes unreasonable considering the God who is with you. As Christians... At least we, we are, and, or at least we should be, the people of a different response. Because yes, we see the problem that is before us. Yes, we see the challenge that is before us. Yes, we hear the bad news that is before us. But yes, we also see the God who is with us. The power of the God who is with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He is a God that does not fail. He is God through whom all things are possible. Amen? And another thing, God brought them to Rephidim. Say Rephidim again. And Rephidim in Hebrew means a place of rest. So there was a revelation of the solution already in that place. If they paid attention, they would have noticed, yes, this is a place of rest. We are supposed to be at rest here. We are supposed to rest and trust God in this place. But trust God to provide, and God did. But instead, they moved to restlessness and started complaining, and they started talking about stoning Moses. And Moses, of course, is directed by God to make water uh, come out of the rock, and the people are happy. But Rephidim, this place of rest, is now renamed in verse 7. It says, so he called the place Massa and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel because they tempted the Lord, saying, is the Lord really among us? So this place of rest, Rephidim, is now renamed Masa or Meribah, which literally means testing and arguing. Because they doubted God, this place of rest and confidence became a place of test and contention. 
I think a lot of our experiences have been labeled wrongly because we fail to recognize the God who is with us in that problem, in that challenge. We fail to recognize what God is doing and can do in this space that we are in, in this season of our life. So what was meant to be a place of rest became a place of stress. What was meant to be a place of transition became a place of fear and doubt. What was meant to be a space of divine providence became a place of complaining and lack. What was meant to be a place of correction became a place of anger and disappointment and rebellion. This place they were in was meant to be a place of rest where they don't look to the power of the problem, but they trust in the power of God. The power of God who was with them. And sometimes we need to trust in the power of God who is with you. And rest is not about inactivity. It is about you holding your peace and placing your confidence in God regardless of what it looks like in the natural. It may feel like you're in a dry place. It might feel like you're between a rock and a hard place. But you serve a God who is able to make water come out of the rock and meet your needs right where you are. He can turn those adverse circumstances, those hard places into blessings in your life. If you were to just trust Him in the midst of your circumstances, our God is is able. Amen. Tap the person on the other side of you who is falling asleep. Say, God is able. Don't turn your refidim into Masa and Mariba. Don't shift to unbelief. Don't start fighting and arguing. So the very next verse, verse 8, it says, while the people of Israel were still in refidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. You know, they had just seen God do a great miracle for them. God made water come out of the rock. They had just experienced a breakthrough. Yet in that place, the enemy comes to attack them, catches them off guard. And, and you know, sometimes we think, oh, I just, we just experienced a great miracle, a great breakthrough. And, you know, and you're on a spiritual high. And, and, you know, that is the time you need to have your guard up. Because that's when the enemy comes and attacks them. You see, the devil doesn't take a day off. There are no public holidays in hell. No, we always, we are constantly taking time off. Time off church, time off our prayer life. We are taking off days, our scripture reading, our Bible study. We are taking off days spiritually, prayer. But the devil never takes an off day. That's why the scripture tells us, Paul writes, he's, uh, Peter, he says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking for whom he may devour. He's prowling around. He's looking, whom can I devour today? Whom can I devour today? He's seeking for whom he may devour. That means he needs access. He needs permission. So he says, ah, this person is carrying a lot of offense. <laughs> Open door. This person, oh, lack of faith, that's my favorite, open door. This person hasn't been spending time with the word or prayer. It's just now in a, in a very, uh, you know, he, not here, not there, lukewarm state. Ah, I'm sure I may devour this person. So as Christians, we don't take off days as well. We don't take off days of God. But people take off days to rest. Our rest is in God. Amen.
So Amalek comes and attacks them. And Amalek represents the enemy, like I said. Amalek means, the translation of the, the name Amalek means one who rings, one who squeezes. You know, those days uh, when uh, before the washing machine, or you know, before we didn't have washing machines in our homes, none of you can remember those times, I know, because you're way too young. So, you know, they would, the mothers or whatnot would wash the clothes, and then they would wring the clothes. They would squeeze it to dry it. So Amalek means someone who squeezes, and the enemy always want to, wants to squeeze you. He wants to squeeze out your faith. He wants to squeeze out your passion. He wants to squeeze out your, your vision. Uh, but again, like I said, it's not about what the enemy does that makes the difference. It is about what we do when the enemy does what he does that makes the difference. So Amalek came, fought with Israel, then Moses says this to Joshua, choose us some men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. And this is the biblical strategy for prayer. That's a great strategy for prayer here that I want to convey today. God's people were facing an enemy. It, it, was a, it was a natural, physical battle. It was a challenge that they need to overcome. It was something they needed to have victory over. And I'm sure all of us here, despite of how cool or how all together we look, we all have a challenge that we need to overcome. We, there's something that we need to have victory over. So here's what happens. Here's the strategy that is employed by Moses and Joshua. It says, Moses goes up to the hill and pray, and Joshua goes out to face the enemy on the battlefield. Moses goes up the hill. Now the hill, the mountain or a high place, is symbolic of a place of worship, a place where, where people go to encounter God. You see this throughout Scripture. Even in the New Testament, you see Jesus doing the same in Luke 6, verse 12. It says, It came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer. Uh, the mountain or the hill for you today may not be a physical mountain or a physical hill. If you have a mountain or a hill in your backyard, that's really, really good. But this mountain or hill this is a place where you go to encounter God where you go to pray. And to some of you, it could be your room, it could be your hall, it could be your office. Some of you, it could be your, your car. You know, I don't encourage that because suddenly you get carried away and your eyes are closed. Lift your hands, close your eyes, and you know, next thing you know, car is somewhere else already. Next thing you open your eyes, I'm be standing before God at the pearly gates. What happened? Why am I here? Okay, anyway. So this mountaintop represents your secret place with God. It's the place where you engage God. It's the place where you engage the problem, the, the challenge from where God is. Amen. You engage the enemy. You engage the problem. You engage the challenge from where God is for you. So he goes up with the rod of God, it says, which is his staff. And uh, the rod of God to Moses represented the power of God, the authority of God. It was the thing through which God revealed himself through the people of Israel. Because when Moses says, how will I know? Then he said, what's in your hand? And you know the whole story about the rod. Uh, today we do not have the rod of God. But it symbolized an item through which Moses had that God used to reveal his power and his promises to. 
today we don't have do not have the staff of God, but you and I have the word of God, in which lies every promise of God for our lives, through which we see and know the power of God that is available for us. Always go to the place of prayer with God's word in your hands and in your mouth. God is legally bound by his word. He is not obligated to fulfill your word, but he is obligated to fulfill his word for your life. That is why when we pray, we declare the word of God. We come before God with his promises for our lives. Psalm 138 says, verse 2 says this, For you have magnified your word above all your name. That's how important, that is the importance that God has placed for his word. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 10. And the Lord said to me, you have seen well, I am watching over my word to perform it. Not, he's not watching over your word, your desire, your ideas to perform it. He's watching over his word to perform it. Go to that place of prayer with the word of God. So Moses is, an, is on the mountain facing God. And he tells Joshua in verse 9, he says, Choose us some men, go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So there's a problem. There's an enemy. There's something that needs to be done to overcome the enemy. And the solution from Moses, or the solution that comes through Moses addressing this issue is twofold. He sends Joshua to do what naturally needs to be done. And he goes up to the mountain to do what spiritually needs to be done. Here's what you need to get. Moses on the mountain praying alone would not have defeated the enemy. Joshua in the valley fighting alone would not have defeated the enemy. There needed to be a partnership of the spiritual and the natural. There needed to be a partnership of faith and works. This is important because there are people who can sit and pray and pray and pray and pray all day, but they do not engage the issues that need to be naturally engaged in their lives. They can see the lost and, and go and pray for the lost, but do not make an attempt to witness to the lost. They can pass the poor person on the street and say, would pray for the poor person, but that the person might be fed, but they would not think of being a source of blessing, the source of God's hands or God's kindness or God's heart to that person. How many of us are praying for, for loved ones, friends, relatives, colleagues, and the people in our world who are lost to get saved, to come to know Christ? Yet we sit with them ever so often and never once open our mouths to share the gospel or invite that person to church, or talk about the love of God to that person, or even share our own testimony with that person. Some of us are praying to be set free of certain bondages or strongholds, but you stop at praying. You are doing what spiritually needs to be done, that's good, but you also need to do what naturally needs to be done. You need to be putting in place those disciplines. You need to shut those doors. You need to find someone whom you can be accountable to. It has to be tackled spiritually and you need to do what naturally needs to be done as well. Some of us are praying for better jobs, better salaries. Yes, you're doing what needs to be done spiritually. Pastor, please pray for me. I want a better salary, a better position, a better jobs, a better job. Have you been for any interviews? No. 
Have you upgraded your CV? No, not yet, Pastor. So busy, so tired. Are you going for any courses to improve yourself? No, Pastor. No time. Okay, come, I pray for you. In Jesus' name, I cast out the spirit of laziness from this boy. Amen. Now go. So you need to be on the top of that mountain. We need to be praying and seeking God for our breakthroughs, for our miracle. But we also need to be on the battlefield doing what naturally needs to be done. And that is how victory comes into our lives, comes into our world, comes into our families, comes into our careers. You see, God has made this a partnership. He won't work independent of you. We are called co-laborers with Christ. Even when Jesus wanted to feed the 5,000, he said, you feed them. What do you have? And when they did what, with what they could with what they had, what they naturally had, God brought his super and added it on their natural and became a supernatural breakthrough that fed the 5,000 people. When Elisha goes to the poor widow and says, bake me some bread, she had nothing in her house. Elisha could have just said, never mind, God's going to just fill you. Go in your house now, it's going to be filled with oil and, and flour and whatever you need. But he doesn't do that. He says, what's in your house? What do you have? Use what you have. Go and collect jars from whatever you have, and God will fill those jars. Amen? God will fill those jars. That's God doing his part. Your part is to prepare those jars for God to fill. Even when, when Jesus went to the tomb of Lazarus, we all like that story. Lazarus, come forth! And Lazarus came back from the dead. But before that, he, he said, you go roll the stone. When Lazarus came forth, you unwrap him. So God works in partnership with us. Amen. James chapter 2 verse 18, it says, But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Amen. So going back to the story, verse 10. So Joshua did as Moses said to him, fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron and her went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. So, hands up, Joshua's winning the battle. When Moses' hands went down, Joshua started losing the battle. So what is happening on the hill, what is happening in that place of prayer is influencing what is happening in the valley. Nothing changed. It was the same army, same strength, same weapons, same number of people, same enemy, yet the outcome of the battle differs based on what is going on on the hilltop. As long as Moses kept praying, as long as Moses kept that right posture towards God, Joshua was winning the battle. The moment Moses lost that posture, the enemy would start to overcome. And that's the important point that we need to note. Prayer influences your circumstance. Not your circumstance influence your prayer. What is happening in your personal space with God is meant to influence what is happening naturally in your world. Not the other way uh, around. Because many of us pray like this. Many Christians pray like this. We pray circumstance-influenced prayers. 
God, why is this happening to me, God? God, if you really love me, you wouldn't have allowed this to happen. Why are you allowing this to uh, take place? Why are you allowing me to face this challenge? God, do something. That is not prayer. That is complaining. We are praying from our circumstances and complaining to God. But we are not meant to pray circumstance-influenced prayer. We are meant to pray faith-influenced type of prayer. God-influenced prayer. And God-influenced prayer. Faith-influenced prayer. Lord, I thank you, Lord. Though this challenge is before me, I know that greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. Lord, I thank you for the finished work of Jesus. By your stripes, I was healed. So now, right now, I speak to this diagnosis. I speak to this disease. I command it to bow down to the finished work of Jesus at the cross. We are looking, we are praying from God's perspective over the problem not from our perspective over the problem. Amen? So going on, in verse 12, then it says, then Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a huge stone, put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and her supported his hands, one on each side and one on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. So just two principles from this portion. One was Moses' hand became heavy. So first thing they did is they, they moved a stone under him so that he could rest and pray. Now a stone or a rock, many times in scriptures, is a type of Jesus. So our prayer life should always be from that place of rest on Christ. We are not praying from the who we are, we are praying from who Christ is. We are accepted in the beloved. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And the effective, fervent prayer of the righteous person has much power. So we are always going to that place of prayer, resting in Christ, in his finished work. Another thing that happens in this space is Moses' hands become heavy. And Aaron and her come alongside it and hold it up. You know, and there will be times in your life when your hands will get heavy. When you are spiritually weary. And sometimes you feel like it's just so difficult to go on. When you get tired, tired of praying. When you cannot seem to keep that right posture or heart posture towards God. There will be times when the battles that you are facing seem to be overwhelming. That is why our Christian walk was never meant to be a solitary walk. You never walk alone. Who's the David Beckham? Sorry. God put you in a community of faith, in a church like this one, in a connect group among people who are willing and able to stand with you, to help you, keep your hand up, to get on that hill with you, to encourage and strengthen you through those moments of your life. You know, my wife and I have faced some amazing battles along our journey and there were some times that we just couldn't do it on our own and we thank god that god sent people around us that we could talk to who could stand with us in prayer and you know we thank god for your pastors 
who's always been that source of encouragement for us as well. Don't go through your battles alone. Get connected. Get connected to the people in this church family. People who will pray with you, who sincerely care for you. And this was so important that even in the early church, Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, he says, uh, he's, he said, we sent Timothy to visit you. He's our brother and God's co-worker in proclaiming the good news of Christ. We sent him, why did he send him? To strengthen you, to encourage you in your faith, and to keep you from being shaken by the troubles you were going through because there were people going through massive seasons of trouble and hardship and they needed the encouragement from others. First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11 says, So encourage each other. Build each other up just as you are already doing. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love, good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another. Listen, we always need to meet one another. We need to encourage one another, not neglect our meeting together. The devil will always try to take you away from community. He will try to take you away because the moment he has you on your own, he has you exactly where he wants you to be. And it's a place where he can defeat you, overcome you. So because of the community, because of the others that came alongside Moses to support him, to keep him in the right posture and space with God, his hands became, heavy, uh, hands became steady, stayed steady until the going down of the sun. They stood on the left and right of Moses. And it says they stayed steady. And Moses stayed in the right posture. And as a result of Moses continuing to worship God, as a result of Joshua overwhelming the enemy, as a result of these others who come alongside, it says Moses, Joshua won the victory over Amalek. There were two battles the spiritual battle and the natural battle. And the deciding factor was the spiritual battle. What was happening between God and Moses. And just like that, every battle you are facing has two fronts. A spiritual front and a natural front. And the deciding factor is not the natural battle, it is the spiritual battle. Sometimes we call it, oh, I'm wrestling with God. Though we call it a wrestle or a battle, you need to understand that it is not a battle with God, against God, that we are trying to force him to bless you. It is a battle many times with our own doubts, with the lies of the enemy, with our carnal mind, with our spiritual lethargy. It's actually a battle to stay in rest, stay in faith. Trusting God is true to his word. Amen. Can I have the keyboardist back? So the battle started with sunrise, it ended with sunset. And I want you to know there is an ending point to every one of your battles. The battle that you're going through right now, the challenge that you're facing right now, there is an ending point. There is a sunset to that battle. The wall that you're knocking against, there is a breaking point to that wall. The challenge that you are facing is not come to stay. 
it has come to pass. There is an other side to this tunnel that you have been walking through, and you're going to get through it. You know, the scripture says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God is already there in your victory. And he says, let's not get tired in doing good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. There is a just the right time for you. There is a season of reaping that is coming. There is that answered prayer that is coming. You just keep trusting, keep believing. Don't get tired of believing. Do not lose heart. Keep trusting God will fulfill what he says he would do. Amen. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people at the edge of the sword. Well, let's stand. When did Moses leave that hill? That space of prayer. When was the enemy defeated? Moses left that hill when the enemy was defeated. He didn't leave that place of prayer until the enemy was defeated. When do you stop praying or believing for your breakthrough, for your miracle, for that change, when you see it happen? You know, someone once said, pray until something happens. Push, P-U-S-H, pray until something happens. Don't leave that heal. Don't leave that position of faith. You know, some of us have stopped too early, have stopped believing. You've left that position of faith. You are believing for something, for your miracle, for your family, for your marriage, for your relationship. But you decided to just stop. Maybe you got tired. Maybe you didn't see that breakthrough. Maybe you've been praying. And you know you've been praying and praying and praying and time has passed. And you have not seen that breakthrough. And I want to tell you that God is saying to you today, God has not given up on that dream for your life. He has not given up on you seeing that miracle. You don't give up. You know, when Elijah prayed for that storm, for that miracle, he prayed, nothing happened. He was in that posture. He stayed in that posture of prayer. He tells his servant, go and check. Servant goes and checks, comes back. He said, nothing. He stays in that position. He prays. And he says to the servant, go again. Goes again, comes back, nothing. He says, go again. And until the seventh time, the servant goes and he says, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. He said, go again. And then that's on, only then he stopped praying. You know, some of us have stopped praying. Maybe you stopped on your third round or fourth round and your breakthrough was on the seventh round. God is saying to you, go again. Believe again. Trust again. Start praying again. Let faith arise again. Forgive again. Release again. Trust God again because God has something powerful for you. You need to go again. Come on. Come on. Tap the person next to you and say, go again.
God has not forgotten. God has not given up on your miracle. Go again. Amen. Hallelujah. Come on, let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you for your presence in this place. Father, I thank you that in this place, even right now, miracles are going to be released. Breakthroughs are going to be released. Those who have stopped believing will start believing again. Those who have stopped believing will start believing again. They will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Those who have been focusing on what the enemy has been saying and doing will shift their focus to what the Lord has said. They will stop praying from the position of the enemy, but pray from God's perspective over their problems, over their circumstances. Lord, I thank you for the spirit of breakthrough, O Lord. The Lord, our breakthrough. Baal Perazim, even as Ernst said, he is the master of breakthroughs. He's the master of breakthroughs. So, Father, I thank you for the spirit of breakthrough that is in this place. The spirit of breakthrough that is in this place. The spirit of breakthrough that is in this place. Every wall must come down. Every stronghold must come down. Every giant must fall. Every giant must fall. Father, your kingdom come and your will be done, O Lord. Father, we thank you that the work of the enemy is being pushed back. Even right now, every lie of the enemy is being silenced in the name of Jesus. Let breakthrough be released right now. Those who have been believing for healing, breakthrough in the name of Jesus over your body. We cancel every demonic agenda, every demonic assignment over your lives, over your ministries. In the name of Jesus, we break its power and we declare healing, breakthrough in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on, receive your breakthrough. Hallelujah. Pray for your breakthrough. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Some of you have stopped believing for a miracle. Maybe you've been desiring something, you've been believing something, and you've had this promise from God, but you've not seen it come to pass yet. So you've kind of just let it fall to the wayside. You've just forgotten about it. You've decided not to think about it. And God sent me today to remind you that God has not forgotten his promises for you are yes and amen. And he wants you to start believing again. Start seeing again through the eyes of faith, that which you've let go of. Start to see again. Start to lay hold again. God is able. God will do what he says he would do. Start to believe again. Where there's been hardness of heart, where faith has seeped out, let faith arise again. Your God is a miracle-working God. Your God is able. Your God is faithful. Your God is able. Your God is faithful. He will do. 
He is not a man that he should lie. Come on, if that's you, just lift your hands to God right now and say, yes, Lord, I believe. Yes, Lord, I'm believing again. See through the eyes of faith. See through the eyes of faith for that miracle. Hallelujah. See through the eyes of faith. 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 Go again. Go again. Go back to that place. Go back to that mountaintop. That place that you have left midway. Go again. Stay in that posture. Stay in that posture of faith. Stay in that posture of prayer. Stay in that posture of faith until, until, until you see the deliverance of the Lord. Until you see the breakthrough of the Lord. Until you see the promise fulfilled. God is not a man that he should lie. He is able. He is able. Miracles, miracles, miracles be released. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And for some of you, there are things that you need to do naturally. You've been praying. You've been waiting on God. But God's been waiting on you to move. Even as you put your feet in that water, you're going to see His miraculous power. He will put the super on your natural. And you will see that supernatural breakthrough come into your life. So, Father, I thank you. Come on, one more time, lift your hands to God. Lord, I thank you for every hand that is lifted in this place. Father, we see through the eyes of faith that miracle, that breakthrough, that healing, that miracle for their finances, for their home. Father, we see through the eyes of faith, we receive it right now. We receive it by faith in our spirit, Lord. Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. Let God, Father, I thank you even over these next two weeks. They're going to be testimonies of breakthroughs. Breakthroughs that we have forgotten. Lord, you'll bring it up to the surface again, Father. There's going to be testimonies of breakthroughs, of miracles. And we will say glory to God for the Lord has done this. For the Lord has done this. Father, we thank you. We thank you. We give you praise. We give you all the honor, all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, let's give a clap offering to Jesus. Amen.